Hello and welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people doing good things despite challenges like chronic illness, disability, and more. My name is Tony, and I'm a digital media professional dealing with a chronic muscle condition called LGMD2I. Today, my guest is Elijah Stacy, a 20-year-old public speaker and author who wrote and published the book Small If that shares with others his process of dealing with Duchenne muscular dystrophy and the lessons he's learned along the way. We talk about his book, some of the challenges he's already conquered, and how the job won't be finished until there's significant treatments and a cure for this condition. So let's get into it with Elijah. You've been on a crusade to raise awareness and battle Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is, though the most common kind of muscular dystrophy, it's still very rare. It's very misunderstood. Talk about a little bit about your journey. I mean, I know it, it's horrible to hear. I know you've lost siblings to this disease. Were you, I guess, to start from, from square one, were you the oldest in your family to be diagnosed? Yeah, to be diagnosed, I'm the oldest in my family. But, you know, I have an older brother, Will. He's completely healthy. So he's completely fine. But then it goes me, I have Duchenne, then my brother Max. He had Duchenne. He passed away when he was 14. Yeah. And then and then my little brother, uh, Kai, who's 14 now, and he has Duchenne, and he's in a wheelchair. I know for me, I didn't really – I didn't show any significant symptoms – with, with LGMD, the type I deal with until probably like my mid twenties when it was really like, Oh, something's definitely going on. But looking back as a kid, it was always a thing where like, you know, I, I was active, I played sports. I've, I've heard you talk about this a little bit too. And it was almost like the, the results never matched the effort. you know, like as a kid, a lot of times you'd have adults like gym class teachers and either say like, Hey, you're not trying hard enough or you're, or, you know, this kid's lazy. And laziness is very much kind of like a, a mental choice you make. I never felt like I wasn't trying hard. Did you kind of have those feelings as a kid as like, oh, something's not right? And did your parents kind of notice it? Because it had to be just as shocking for you having an older brother that does not have this disease. Um, I don't know if I would say that exactly. I mean, we knew that something was abnormal. I knew that something was wrong. Really what got my parents' attention was, you know, walking on my tippy toes, falling to the floor frequently, stuff like that. But the major turning point, I would say, is when my mom wanted to measure my height. So she tells me to go up against the wall and she said, hey, put your heels down. And she thought I was messing around and I couldn't put my heels down. She's like, you're getting mad at me. It's kind of funny. She's like, put your heels down. And I, and I couldn't. And so from, from there, we started to go to doctors and, you know, then get referred to specialists and then more doctors and then eventually doing a muscle biopsy mm -hmm. confirming that I have Duchenne muscular dystrophy. What age was that? Six. Wow. Okay. So you had probably like a window there where as a, as a kid, it's, it's tough to know because you don't know anyone else's experience. You don't know, uh, aside from, you know, seeing your older brother, like what, what's normal, what's right. Like for me, I remember just noticing like, Oh, I, I have to walk up a staircase, I have to use the railing. And like, it took years before I realized like other people don't do that. So until, you know, you, you feel like undeniably like struggles that like, Hey, this is abnormal, but that's gotta be as a little kid. How, how do you have any clue what's, what feels normal and what doesn't? Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely get what you're saying. And I see that cause it's like all, you know, but at the same time, I think like you kind of realize well, I walk slower than other people. Mm -hmm. People always ask me why I walk on my toes. So they're kind of showing you, you are different. You know, there is something wrong. Um, I just didn't have a name for it. 
So when I learned that I had to shin, when my parents told me I had to shin, and now I had a name to the problem. Right, yeah. No, I remember that moment uh, pretty well. And it's such a journey with, with muscular dystrophy for sure because uh, everybody kind of like, has their own opinions. You know, you, uh, for me at least, the biggest struggle has been almost with like neurologists and doctors specifically because everybody wants to be right. There's, it seems like the most ego and, you know, you talk a lot about, we'll get into your, your book and, and your journey and mission, but you talk a lot about like doubt. Do you feel like, did that come from people like other kids in your life? Or did you feel it more from like the medical field? Because that's, to me, that's where the most opposition and doubt has come from is neurologists and doctors all saying like, you can't do this, this won't work. And everybody kind of being wrong along the way. The people you trust to be right, for the most part, sometimes aren't. Yeah, I would say it's kind of everybody, um, which I love, right? This is one of my biggest things is I love when someone doubts me because um, I don't I don't doubt myself. Like if I believe something that I believe that I'm capable of doing something I'm gonna, and someone doubts me, it's just – it's total motivation. It's just absolutely right. all. Um, but I'd say it's everybody. I mean I had a doctor tell me and I love my doctor. I love my doctor. We're, he's an amazing man. He told me – that, you know, I wouldn't be able to reverse my curved spine, which is where a small lift comes from, right? Uh, the whole story here is he, I go in for an x-ray, my spine's curved, and he says, hey, well, at this point, you know, it's getting to the point where I got to really push for you to have the surgery. So he starts talking about it, and, you know, he starts saying that we'll do it during the summer to avoid flu season. We'll have this team of doctors, and he's getting really specific, so I know he's serious. Yeah. And my mom's crying. My dad's got his head down. That's what he does when he's sad, and I'm going – I'm smiling, sitting there smiling because I'm like, I'm not having the surgery. And eventually I ask him within this meeting, this is a long doctor's appointment too, longer than usual. Yeah. I ask him, okay, let's just say I was able to reverse the current state of my spine. Could I avoid having to have the surgery then? And he says, you know, I've never seen anybody do it. It's basically medically impossible. Um, I don't want to give you any false hope. And as your doctor, I got to really put my foot down and push for you to have the surgery. But because I know you and your character, I will give you a small if. <laughs> and so because, you know, I said if, right? So that's if I'm able to do it. I don't have to have the surgery. I thought, okay. For, so from that day forward, I worked out every single day hard. I took a picture of my x-ray, hung it up on my wall in my bedroom. So I'd look at it and I'd visualize my making it straight and visualize all the work and pain and suffering I'd have to go to to make it straight. I would teach myself how to cook because I wanted to lose some weight. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do everything and anything I can do to try and make this happen. And so, you know, I'd be, uh, you know, driving my wheelchair in one hand, carrying the pan in the other hand and doing all of this work. And then, uh, you know, going to intense physical therapy and they're stretching me like crazy. You know, sometimes I'd be in pain. I'd be biting down on my shirt just to suck it up because I knew, you know what, this has to happen. Three months later, I go into the doctors. We do the x-ray. My spine is straight. And I went in there with confidence that my spine is straight. I thought, no, this is going to be straight. This is going to be straight. You know, as I'm walking to the the doctor's room, I'm smiling, getting kind of fired up. People there probably thought I'm nuts. They're like, what is wrong with this kid? But, you know, that's the competitor in me. You know, I was raised by a head football coach. I love sports. You know, I look at people like Kobe Bryant. I look at people like Michael Jordan, right? And that that competitive nature they have, Tom Brady, right? It's just insane. And, And that's how I am. So it's like I'm like this insane competitive dude in a wheelchair. And I was competing with myself here. 
and I, and I, and I did it. Right. And so that's where a small life comes from. And that's a little bit about doubt, but there's so many stories within the book about people doubting me and using it as motivation. And that's actually one of the lessons, uh, in the book, you know, the 13 life lessons I have, that's one of the lessons is about turning people's negative energy. And that could be doubt. That could be their cynicism. That could be, um, uh, whatever. And you can turn it into what I call rocket fuel. Yeah. And it's wild. So not only did you do, did you complete this extremely small, if this chance you were given, which I always think about with, with rare disease, it's so hard to even get that small if to where most people I would think and hope uh, if given even a tiny opportunity would, would go all in and pursue that. But that's not the case, you know, because one, we're already dealt a pretty difficult card and it's hard to just reach in and channel the energy to go all in on, on such a small possibility. So not only did you do that, you did it within 90 days, which is absurd. I think if also given the, the opportunity, like, oh, and this won't take years, this could literally take three months. Most people, I would hope would, would take that very seriously and, and, you know, go all in on and trying to accomplish that. But on top of, you know, accomplishing this pretty insurmountable thing within such a short amount of time, you also turned it into writing and publishing a book, which is another thing most people don't do. So kind of talk about how one informed the other. Did, did you start writing or planning this book as you were going through this 90 day? Uh, it really sounds like strict, you know, not just exercise, but diet and probably just kind of reinventing yourself as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, in terms of writing the book, I wrote it, you know, after this, like shortly after. But, you know, you mentioned something that I do a lot of things that are unusual, just in general. And I get and I guess especially for my age, um, that's something I'm real big on, too, is I don't want to be average. You know, I don't want to be like other people. Um, and and I don't want other people to be like other people either. Like, I don't I'm real big on you don't need to fit in with society. You don't have to do things that seem fun because other people think they're fun do what you think is fun like for me talking to you on this podcast right now is literally fun like this is fun to me i enjoy this yeah like creating this impact right is fun to me you know working on like ambitious goals is fun to me um but you know a lot of people my age they probably think that you know a lot of people you know they they think fun is like drinking and getting high and, and doing things like that and it's like to me that's so boring so i bring that up because you, you mentioned that but uh, in terms of writing the book, I, I wrote it shortly afterwards and, you know, laid out different lessons and stuff and figured out, okay, what do I want this book to be about? I want it to be about overcoming adversity. How can I use this to help people overcome adversity? And I just went down and started writing all these different things in my life. And it kind of has one theme and I didn't know that my whole life is literally a small if, mm-hmm. I mean, people saying I can't do this and that, but there's a small chance and I go and do it, you know, um, you know, curing, curing Duchenne, I'm on a mission to cure this disease, right? That's a small lift. Yeah. But all I need is a small lift, right? Yeah. I want to ask about the, the book specifically and how you structured it. It's like the chapters are kind of, they're all different lessons you've learned and ways you've applied them, if I'm understanding it correctly. So can you talk about that? And can you go deeper on what I had a specific question about is connecting the dots later? Like, what exactly does that mean? And how did it apply to your, your journey as it's going so far. Sure. So the way I structured the book is, so it's a chapter uh, about my life. 
And then at the end of that chapter, there's a life lesson that I learned from that, you know, that part of my life or whatever that chapter's on. And those lessons will help people overcome their adversity, come mentally stronger, um, you know, do things that are going to lead to a more fulfilling life, more purposeful life. So that's what that's what those lessons are about in the book. And that's how that book is structured. Um, and then you said connect the dots. So that's lesson four. So connect the dots comes from something I realized, but it, it also comes from Steve Jobs, which I quote in the book. And I'll just paraphrase, you know, the actual quote is in the book. But he basically said something like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And what he means by that is that you can't know how things are going to work out all the time. Like, why did I meet this person? Why am I talking to you right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And perhaps it's because in the future, you and I are going to meet up and we're going to start a business. Who knows? We have no clue. Right. We have no clue. But you can see that how events in your past have led to making you better or they taught you a lesson or this person introduced you to that person. You know, um, you may like I, I write like you may get laid off from your job and then you go work somewhere else. And that's where you meet your husband. That's where you meet your wife. Like at the time, it's like, dang, I lost my job. But really, it led to something better in the future. But you just don't know. Things don't always make sense. Oh yeah. And that's oh, really yeah. what that's really what the lesson's about is things don't always make sense. So when things are making sense, focus on the things that do make sense and keep the faith and keep going. And eventually, you'll be able to connect those dots looking backwards. That's such a good example, applicable to me because you know we've obviously been going through a pandemic the last year and a half or so. I lost what I thought was a great job that I was going to be at for years. Uh, a few months into it. And I look back a year ago and, you know, things certainly aren't easy whatsoever for me right now. Um, Every day is really challenging, but like there's things I look at, like what I was trying to do a year ago is exactly what I'm doing right now professionally. And that's pretty wild. If you, you know, apply that to your career, health, whatever, when you look back and be like, oh yeah, the thing I said I was going to do happened and it can you know you can get kind of caught up on like how much sacrifice went into that but as long as you end up where you were hoping to be like there's a lot of power in that and there's a lot of value to look back and and kind of like hmm for me right now it's just like well what else can i do that's great that you bring up the pandemic because like it's where i wrote this book when i was 16 17 and there's no pandemic right uh, and now the book's out you know I don't want to, I mean, would you say we're post pandemic? Uh, I think we're coming out of the pandemic, right? We're coming out of it. Yeah. There's Um, there's reasons to be like, things are trending in the right direction for sure. Right. Right. And it's like a lot of the lessons in the book talk about it, which is so wild to me. Yeah. It's so wild to me. Like one of the lessons is that you can do everything. It's, it's, it's lesson nine, the economy of control. I talk about how you can do everything to keep yourself healthy. But at the end of the day, you may – and the words I use is you may ca- catch a common virus. Like you could do everything you, you you possibly could think of and you still may end up getting sick. Right? Some things are out of our control. But that's a whole other lesson. That's, that's super good too. But yeah. Do you feel like along the way you are tasked with a lot of work to make the people – not necessarily your family, but people you encounter on the day, day-to-day, whether it's you know professionally and – this journey you're on doing media appearances and whatnot. Do you feel like you kind of overexert yourself in trying to make everyone else feel comfortable with your situation and with 
this disease in general? No, honestly, one of my big things is I don't care about people's acceptance, to be honest with you. Um, and if I'm going to, I mean, there's different layers to it, in my opinion. Maybe I'll write another book about this because it's a huge issue that I want people to learn, yeah. especially yeah. young people. Um, you know, you're going to want, look, you're going to want acceptance from your family. You're going to want acceptance from people that you're close to. Some random person on the internet that's, Logic, you're in a wheelchair, blah, blah, blah. I literally do not care. Right. It's like, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. the fact that you're commenting, one, thank you because you're helping me with the algorithm. Thank you. <laughs> number two, number two, um, the fact that you're going to have to make fun of someone for being in a wheelchair, man, it's like, um, or, or whatever it is, you know, you look this way, you, this or whatever. It's like a, a truly confident person that's secure, that's happy with their life does not need to do that. Like the most successful people in the world, you don't see them tearing down people or whatever unless they got something like you know unless they're not satisfied with their life and when you peel back the curtains you're probably going to find that so for me no I, I you know i'm real big on being a builder and and trying to build people up and i realize that if someone's trying to tear me down or whatever they're not a they're not a builder but i want to go more into this because it's something i'm real passionate about so like when it comes to you know acceptance it's like that when you want to when you think about acceptance it's like who are you trying to get acceptance from? Because, you know, you got to consider the source. Like I said, like, is this person a good person that you're trying to get acceptance from? Right. Do they have good right. character? Are they driven? Are they have goals? Are they, you know, successful in life? Do they have a, you know, look at the source of the person that you're trying to get acceptance from. And so what I realized is a lot of times people that want to, you know, give me crap, basically. I look at their character and I realize, wait a second, one, their character's already bad because they're giving me crap. But number two, like, let's look at them. Let's look at all the problems and all the things and their insecurities and everything. And it makes me realize, wait a second, they're probably just projecting on me, right? They're trying to project on me their insecurities and, and I'm not insecure. So it's like, you know what? You got to be very conscious of that and not even think about it. like someone says, oh, you know, um, Elijah, like, you know, you, like some people try to say, Elijah, you got this or that. Like, you know, a lot, a lot of young people, whenever I accomplish something and I'm happy with it, I'm not bragging about it, but I'm happy with it. Say, Elijah, you're cocky. I'm not cocky. I'm confident. And there's a difference. So, you know, but 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 I'm not going to lie. There's times where I think, man, am I cocky? Am I cocky? But then I realize, wait a second, let's look at this person. They're just projecting. They're just being insecure. So you got to be you got to be very conscious of that, too, because you got to protect your mind because people will try to, you know, plant these little doubts in you and whatever. And it's like that's that's not good. You know, know, know who you are, know yourself and know that, you know, if you're not a cocky person. So in this particular situation, you know, you're not a cocky person. You're just confident. You know, you believe in yourself. There's nothing wrong with believing in yourself. You should believe in yourself. Yeah. And, yeah. and I believe in myself. And a lot of times people don't like that. But it is what it is. We'll talk some uh, Southern California sports specifically. I saw you are, correct me if I'm wrong, you're from a Clippers family. Well, I mean, I went, well, I guess we're a Clippers family now, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Clippers fan. I, I made my family Clippers fans. <laughs> people that grew up Clippers fans, like it's like a different mentality. A lot of them are the coolest people I know. So yeah. I give you credit because, you know, I'm, from Cleveland originally. So I know like the feeling yeah. of like sports heartbreak over and over. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess been the, the Clippers fan MO for quite a while. Uh, but I, I, you brought up Kobe Bryant and obviously like that is kind of the, the pinnacle of like a certain type of confidence. It sounds like, like you channel. And I think for me, I think of like two really specific 
Kobe moments that have like inspired me along with like dealing with LGMD. You know, I was diagnosed uh, in, I've been like diagnosed, undiagnosed, re-diagnosed, you name it. Um, It was, it was quite a journey for about five years. But I remember when I first started having like struggles that were affecting my day to day was right around the time of the Achilles game. If you remember when, Kobe tore the, the Achilles. Yep. And he still took his free throws, and I, yep. I think about that all the time. In terms I was of watching this, that game, yeah, that it was it was wild. It was one of those things like watching it with friends as it was happening, and thinking about what I was going through at that time. It was something like I think I'll always carry some of that with me, which is like, well, I mean, Kobe still took his free throws, uh, and you know he was never the same after that. But he still made sure to be like, nope, uh, and it kind of leads me to. The other really specific Kobe thing is the the job's not finished quote. And I feel like maybe maybe that applies to, and you know, for people that aren't as familiar, what the, I think the Lakers were up like, like a couple games in the finals and he just looked completely miserable at the press conference. And when asked why, he's just like, you know, job's not finished. We haven't won yet. Do you kind of get that feeling with all the press and media that thankfully is, you know, coming your way you know, you do a lot of, I, I think you've done like Good Morning LA, Baltimore, you name the city, you've you've been on it, it seems like, in the past few months. But when, you know, people, do you kind of feel like it's celebrating too early when you're on these interviews and they talk about your amazing accomplishment with avoiding the spine surgery, but in terms of having Duchesne and all the work that needs to be done to raise awareness and eventually cure this disease, do you kind of have to carry some of that, like, job's not finished yeah it's great that like i have this this story of this win but in the grand scheme of things it's it's just a small win man you're firing me up right now <laughs> honestly i gotta tell you a story because this just happened to me like a few days ago um you're firing me up i love that you bring that up i totally remember that moment he's sitting there say hey are you happy he said no and they said why he said job's not finished yeah no like, well you can't just be you're up 2-0 or whatever they said something like that i said okay Job's not finished. And I was like, that's exactly it. That's yeah. That's how you need to articulate. So let me tell you this. So I was talking to this guy a couple days ago. And he's telling me, you know, and I and look, look, I don't want to ever see people misunderstand. I'm a very grateful person. In fact, lesson 10 is gratitude. I'm all about being grateful. So when people hear me talk today, oh, he's not grateful. I'm very grateful for all the media. I'm grateful for all the support, everyone buying the book. I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. But the job's not finished, yeah. all right? I'm not satisfied with where we're at yet. We're not there yet. So we're going to keep pushing. So anyways, I'm talking to this guy. And he tells me, well, you know, you should be just really happy with everything. He said, you know, maybe you wrote this book only to reach one person and it's going to change their life. And he's like, and if that's the case, you should be just happy with that. And I thought, no way I'm going to be happy with that. Like, great, I changed someone's life and I'm glad I created the impact. But I want to go impact a million people. Yeah, You know, I yeah. want to sell a million books. I want to cure this disease. I want to raise millions of dollars for this disease. I want to do all different kinds of things. So I'm not, you know, job's not finished. Like we're on a great start. We're getting started, but we're still in the first, you know, we're in the first minute of the first quarter. You know, I'm not even looking at the fourth quarter yet. We're in the first minute of the first quarter. So when you said that, that is like, that perfectly explains exactly what I was thinking. Cause I was like, how do I, how do I articulate this to people? Cause I don't want them to think I'm not grateful. I'm very grateful. I just want to keep going for more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger. 
um, because we got we got this disease. We got thousands of kids with this disease. Yeah, that yeah. get cured. We got, and, and that's with my nonprofit stuff. When it comes to my book and my other, you know, my other career, basically, there's tons of people out here with low self esteem, with uh, adversity, with you know, they maybe have problems with their family. Maybe they got made fun of. Maybe they got bullied. You know, I need to go and impact them. I need to build them up. I'm trying to build these people up and make them become, you know, their ultimate self, their best version of themselves. I want them to be people that are confident, people that are fulfilled, that are on a mission, that are living out their purpose, that are impacting other people, you know, all kinds of things. So I'm, I I love what you just said, man. That, that perfectly explains it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to post something like that. Job's not finished. In terms of being optimistic, because mm-hmm. you, we, we talked about this earlier, but like there's there's never a good time to have muscular dystrophy. There's never a good time to have a genetic disease, yeah. a rare disease of any sorts. However, there is a lot of reasons, especially, you know, at for people your age and, and younger, like there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about significantly fighting these types of diseases. Is there anything in the medical field that you're particularly optimistic and excited about? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm all about gene editing and gene therapy. Oh, yeah. So we look at things like CRISPR. You know, being able to edit our DNA like it's a piece of text in a Word document. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Not just for people with Duchenne, but all these genetic diseases. And every time I talk about it, you know, you can probably hear it in my voice, but I get goosebumps. Oh yeah, because I'm thinking. All this suffering, we're going to be able to stop. So that six-year-old kid, me, ain't going to have to go through this one day. Yeah. And that fires me up. You know, we look at uh, gene therapy and how we can insert genes into your body so you still have that genetic code, you know, to be able to be read and you get, your body will be able to produce it. That fascinates me too. So, you know, I'm looking at things like full-length dystrophin. When you we talk about the shin in particular, so just a little bit about this. Um, You know, it's, it's a lack of dystrophin that causes this disease. And what dystrophin does is it acts like a pillar that upholds um, the cell membrane uh, in your cell. So every time, so with, with someone like me, every time I contract my muscles, cell membrane wiggles a little bit and then it rips. Yeah. And what happens is now a bunch of things that are coming into the cell that wouldn't happen at a natural rate. And it tells the cell to self-destruct. And so the muscles are dying because myocyte cells are muscle cells. So they're dying. But if we can insert the full length dystrophin, you know, the genetic code for that, uh, the, and then it'll make it and then the cells won't rip. So it's such a fascinating time uh, in the medical world. I, I, I say that we're entering the golden age of medicine, right? And I want to do everything I can to help usher it in. And so it's just a fascinating time, such an interesting time. You know, we, we even see investors, right? I'm really into investing as well. They're really, really um, big on on CRISPR right now. You know, we look at someone like uh, like Kathy Wood, for example, you know, what she's doing, investing in all these um, CRISPR companies now, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible. So, so yeah. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. And we talk about CRISPR and gene editing on, on the show quite a bit because it's, it's applicable to almost everyone I have on here. Um, and it's, it's wild. It will be the biggest medical breakthrough of our lifetime, at least so far. Yeah. And it's, I, it's also kind of falls under that jobs, not finished bucket where so few people, from a mainstream sense, understand it. But to your point, like there's, there wouldn't be the people that are, are really, you know, like bullish on stuff like this and, and smart with their investments. There wouldn't be the kind of money behind it if there weren't 
reasons to be very 100%, genuine. 100%. About it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else? Like, do you follow, you know, I've had, I've kind of had an ongoing discourse and relationship with these these two brothers. One is a Duchenne patient. Uh, his name is uh, Ryan Benton. Uh, he's a super talented composer, musician, um, and he's been getting stem cell treatments in, I think, South, somewhere in South America for since he was your age, and he's he's mid thirties. It's one of those things with I think stem cell treatments are extremely uh, encouraging, and there's so much potential. But I myself tried it after connect, connecting with the the Benton brothers and, and learning more about stem cells and and raising some money to try it. And I would compare it to at this point, it's like putting very expensive duct tape on a busted pipe because. <laughs> You know, I, I did it and I, I felt things, the best way I can describe it is I felt some things firing a little better and I had a little more like trunk stability, which is my most problemed area. So I think we're in the infancy of it being something affected or that's effective, but is that, do you follow uh, the trajectory of, of stem cells as a potential treatment for diseases like this much? Well, you know, I look, look, I just want to first start off saying I'm not an expert well, no so, one is. Yeah, yeah. But, but I want to say, um, you know, I, you know, you just have to, you have to say that, right? So, you know, I don't want to get in trouble or whatever. But, um, so I'm not an expert, but I do. I'm very interested in stem cells. I know that some people will be doing it right now with Duchenne to to help them, and and that looks pretty interesting. But what I think is, once we're able to fix our genetic code, I believe I, this is just, you know, what what I've been theorizing. I haven't looked too much into this because I'm first worried about. Well, let's just stop the progression, right? Let's yeah. cure it first. But I think that stem cells could be used for regeneration. Yeah. And maybe yeah. we can give lost muscle function back because we could just make those cells myocyte cells. You know, stem cells are kind of like a blank cell. And so maybe we can make those myocyte cells and patients can regain some function. And I mean, look, man, any function, increased function is increased function. Yeah. So I am interested in that in the, in the near future for sure. Once we cure, once we cure this disease... Absolutely. And the other thing too is like this type of research I could see being huge because there's a lot of people with atrophy and stuff, right? You know, they look at them, have a stroke and they weren't able to move for a long time. And then they, they regain the ability to, to move, but they don't have any muscles present. That research could help them as well. So it's not just people with Duchenne that have lost muscle function. Um, but all these muscular dystrophies, uh, even people that, you know, like I said, just get in a car accident and they got paralyzed, but then, you know, their some of their ability comes back, but they need more muscle func- You know, they need more muscle mass, right? So there's all kinds of things in the future that is just really exciting, and it's like, what can't we do? So getting back to the book, where can people find it, and what do you kind of hope is the number one thing that's accomplished from from people checking it out? Yeah, so people can get this book on Amazon, Amazon.com. You can get it on Target.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, I'm sure there's other places as well. I heard you um, got a Bezos shout out. Yeah, so I met Bezos when I was 17. Whoa. And he uh, he posted on his Instagram a video of us interacting, and he tagged me, and he, he wrote this quote, which is super, super cool. He wrote, uh, let, me, let me see, it says, Elijah's optimistic nature is one of his standout characteristics, and it's inspiring. And he's my business role model. Like, I love him in the business world. I think that, like... That guy is such a brilliant mind, someone that is 
uh, you know, changed the world and still changing the world. So I wanted to meet him, but to hear, to hear him say that about me was like, it was really, it was really cool, man. It was really cool. Yeah. I'd imagine. Did you tell him to throw some, some of his, his cash into uh gene editing as an investment? I, I didn't say, I didn't say it, you know, like that, but I, I did, uh, I did talk to him about gene editing and gene therapy and business stuff and breaking down the science. And I, um, wanted to, you know, be as prepared as I could. So I talked to scientists, uh, within this space beforehand and, you know, molecular biologists and everything. And the interaction with him was amazing. It was, it was, it was really cool to share a moment in time with him. Lastly, I guess, what is, what does the rest of the year look like for you? Um, what's your day-to-day maintenance with the disease and kind of balancing that with obviously essentially being a professional public figure at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, I go to physical therapy. I work out uh, three times a week and then physical therapy. So that's four. Right. That's my goal. And, and, and by the way, these, these workouts don't have to be intense. It's just gotta do something. Just right. do something. Um, I'm trying to eat healthier, you know, gotta stay away from those Twix, right. You know, that's my favorite candy. It's so um, funny. When I was, I was a kid, I was, <laughs> I was banned from, my, my grandma would feed me McDonald's fish sandwich and fries like every single day, which looking back and you think about environmental factors that can maybe contribute to, uh, diseases like we have uh rearing their heads that might could add something to do with it but i was i was banned from sweets and and food like that but i had a neighbor that would literally sneak me twix because it was my favorite vice on earth that's funny that's funny it's like a like a drug deal happening you know you gotta... 100 yeah <laughs> that's funny um yeah so you know just working out doing stuff like that and then you know and then I'm working on the business and the book and stuff like that for the majority of the day. And then, you know, hanging out with friends and people watching basketball, whatever on, on the side. Nice. What's the first line of advice you usually give to, I'm sure you get a lot of outreach from especially parents of kids with the disease. What's kind of your starter pack for, cause you know, it's it's really do what you can at this point, but don't do nothing with a disease like this. Well, I, I first start with the mind. Like you got to Like I, I talk about self-image in the book, and that's the number one thing I tell. Really, I tell everybody this, but in particular, people with the shin or someone with a disability or disease or whatever. Don't view yourself as being different. Like literally do not view yourself as being different. Now this isn't to be, you know, some weird belief where you're like, Oh, I'm not in a wheelchair. No, no. Except that you're in a wheelchair. You're in a wheelchair. Things are going to be different. You're going to have to do things differently. Let's keep it honest. But don't view like when people talk to me, I'm not disabled person named Elijah. I'm Elijah Stacy who happens to happen to be in a wheelchair. Right. right. And it's that, that small twist that really, really makes a difference. Like people say, Elijah, can you explain yourself? You're probably not going to hear me say I'm in a wheelchair unless I'm trying to use it to make a point. Yeah. People say, explain yeah. yourself and say, Hey, I'm into philosophy. I'm into making impact. I'm into business. I'm into investing. Um, I like to hang out with my friends. I'm a Clippers fan. I like football. You know, I like eating, uh, you know, Mexican food, Chinese food, barbecue is my favorite, you know, whatever, right? Twix is my favorite candy. Like, that's what you're going to hear me say. Yeah. You're not going to hear me say, oh, I'm Elijah and I'm in a wheelchair and I have the shin. Like, I'm not going to do that because 
that that mindset will limit you and then you're going to see yourself different how you see yourself is going to relate to how you act and how you act so other people are going to see you some people see me a lot of times they it, they the wheelchair thing melts away i mean people melt oh like they melt away like they don't even realize oh he's in a wheelchair anymore now for the first few minutes they might see it but then once they start talking to me and realize everything they're like oh this guy's literally it's like he's just sitting in a wheelchair like they, they act as if I could just stand up at any moment and then just yeah. get out of it. Like I'm just messing around in a wheelchair. That is so important. So you got to start with the mind. It's all about the mind. What 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 starts in the mind leads to action. We get in our own heads too so much in general, of course, like as a society about appearance and what people think of us. But really, at the end of the day, for better or worse, most people are spending such little time thinking about you in general, even in a face-to-face interaction. Most people are just thinking about themselves. So it's almost like use that as like a a confidence booster to be like, you know what? Whatever the worst case scenario, I think this person's thinking about me. They're just thinking about themselves most of the time. So use that to your advantage, I think, is a a good takeaway. Uh, So lastly, favorite Clipper of all time and why? That's tough. Is it? I mean, I love Chris Paul. I love Blake Griffin. I love DJ. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the big three. That was a big, that was a fun team. Three. Yeah. I guess I'll go with Blake Griffin. That's a great just, choice. Just because he was drafted there. I mean, so was DJ. But yeah. I don't know. I got to meet Blake. I, I mean, I got to meet all three of them. But Blake um, is. I feel like Blake is sincerely probably one of the funniest athletes of all time. Like when you see him like <laughs> act and everything, it's such a tragedy. Yeah that he didn't stand in LA because like he could have been like the, the Clipper, like he could have been like the, the magic Johnson of the Clippers essentially, yeah. like just the face of the franchise and like TV movies. Uh, and I'm happy for him. You know, I hope, I guess I hope he does something in Brooklyn, but like seemed like a genuine, genuinely just like really good fun dude. Yeah, no, he's, he's great. He's funny. And, um, I have a prediction. All right, let's replay this in a in about a year. Nice. I'm sad to say this because Clippers all the way. If Kawhi Leonard comes back, I might change this. If he's able to play this year, I might change this. But I said this at the beginning of the season. I've been telling people, and people didn't take me seriously. And I and now I'm looking like I'm right. I, I said the Warriors are the most underrated team in the NBA this year. They're probably gonna, they're going to win the championship. They're going to win the championship. Clay Thompson's not even there yeah. right now. They're going to win the championship. They're yeah. going to win the championship. Yeah. I mean, as a as a lifelong, I'm, I'm from Cleveland originally, so a lifelong Cavs fan. Uh, I I welcome being annoyed by the Warriors being good again. Uh, I got to see four years in a row of that damn team in the finals, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's just it's impossible to to watch Steph not be like, oh my god, like this is absurd. Well, you know what's annoying about them is Everything. is um. Everything's annoying about them, but it's great. Well, you could be up, you could be up by fifteen. You think you got it? You think you got it good? And they're gonna come back in five minutes. Yeah. It's like you're, they're never out of the game ever, <laughs> like ever out of the game. And and it's just ridiculous. Like some of the shots they make, you're like, there's no way that should go in. Yeah, like there's no way. And yeah, no, I remember watching them every year in the finals, and I remember you know the Clippers. I didn't like them. Now I'm starting to really like them. I think they're just they're fascinating to watch. They're entertaining. Well, they're they're a reason your Clippers 
didn't reach the finals during that. And they're the reason, you know, my team with LeBron James only won one championship. But that said, Warriors, I guess we wish you the best the rest of the season. Cavs have been pretty surprisingly good. Maybe we see Cavs Warriors finals number five this year. Who knows? Um, But regardless, Elijah, thank you so much for joining. This has been awesome. Everyone go get the book. I'll put a link in the description. And yeah, just stay good, man. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you want to subscribe and rate on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on, it's much appreciated. You can find Elijah online at Elijah Stacy and find Small If online as well. I hope you come back for another episode. And until then, stay good.